0: Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. And just honor the Lord. We want to welcome our campuses that's popping online with us this morning: Watertown, North Johnson, uh, Heburn, our full-throttle Biker Church. Man, we're having guests at every campus right now, and you people coming in, and it's just exciting what God's doing. You're inviting people, you're bringing people, and if you're first-time guests, I mean, we I know we got some all the way from Costa Rica today. I mean, they're coming a long way now to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to have. Uh, uh, Jackboards, uh, in-laws, and stuff here with us. God bless you so, so very, very much. And uh, we want to welcome you. We want you to know that you're in a great place today. That God's going to challenge your heart this morning. I want you to take your Bibles, and uh, if you want to open them to Mark chapter 10, or if you got your worship guide, I want you to grab it. And uh, I just want to be honest right up front this morning. I want everybody just kind of tuck your feet. Up underneath your seat for just a minute. Just kind of, I know some of you have got them out in front of you. Because what I want to make sure this morning is, you know, I don't want to step on your toes. Because I'm going for your heart today, okay? I'm just going to be right, I've got my hitman suit on this morning. I'm, I, I just i just—I just, I just want to be right up front. That where are we going this morning? You know, we've been in this whole series of questions. and Jesus asked over 300 questions. He was asked... Over a hundred questions, he only answered about eight or ten questions directly. And, uh, and most of the time when he answered a question, he answered a question with a question. And then he gave a response to that. And this morning, we've got a very interested question that I want us to look at. And it's all in, all in the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke has it. I want to read Mark's version. Luke refers to this young man as young and, and Mark as, as rich and ruler, so, but, but I want to read Mark's version of it. It's rather long, and I just, I just want you to bear with me because I want you to see the full context of this, and we're going to break it down. I really feel like God wants to speak to us. Uh, this, this is a challenging time that we live in. It's an exciting time that we're living in, and the Holy Spirit is moving. So the Bible says, and as, as he was setting out on his journey, talking about Jesus, he's been in the city, he's been, he's been in staying at one of the disciples at one of his friends' home, he's out on his journey, he set out that morning, a man, young man, young rich ruler, come and knelt before him and ask him, here's the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, again, ask the question, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. And then he says, well, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, the young man's response, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Here's a guy that almost had, almost had it all. He said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Dishearted, one translation says, "Sad," by the saying, he went away sorrowful. Grieving, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around to his disciples, and he said this, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now he's given given a, a metaphor here. There's no snowball chance in hell. Okay, that's what he's saying. You, you ever heard that phrase? You know, a snowball won't last in hell. Right? It would just melt. He's given this metaphor. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person in the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With men is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, Sir, see, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Father, just thank you today. I want you to open our hearts. God, not just deal with our minds, but open our hearts today and let us hear what you're speaking to the church and to every individual in this house this morning. And we thank you for that and we honor you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Okay, look at your neighbor. Thank you. Thank you, Bethel. And say, Look at your neighbor. Said, Is your heart ready? Come on, say, Is your heart ready? Come on, is it heart ready? Because that's what we're looking at. That's what we're going to look at. Now, some of you are going to get uncomfortable, but you just stay with me. I guarantee you, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Now, now on the surface of this, this whole context, it, it, it appears that this young, rich ruler thought that, that he could earn his way to salvation by doing something. He wanted to know what could he do. What, what, what could he do? Conveniently afford to do. Now, now here's the thing. I when when I read this story, I don't doubt his sincerity. This, this young man, and we're gonna break it down in just a minute, he's very sincere with this question. But Jesus is going to make it clear: it's not what a person has, it's not what a person does, but it's what a person thinks, and how do we respond to the commands of Jesus. Now, the end of this story says that this young guy, he's sad, he's disheartened because he, he would not accept the fact that inheriting eternal life would require him to face the reality that he had put other things before God. Now, last week, we looked at challenging the authority of Jesus. We looked at that question that Jesus answered when they asked him, by what authority are you doing this? So last week we we navigated. If you didn't hear that message, I challenge you, go to our website, go to our app, listen to that because I think, again, it was a very challenging question because you and I have to decide. We will decide at some point, does Jesus truly have all authority over our life. At some point, we will have to decide, I, I'm going to accept the authority of Jesus. I'm going to accept his lordship. I'm going to accept his leadership. I'm going to let him be Lord of all or Lord not at all. That makes sense. So, so in this story, this young guy is going to reject the authority of Jesus. Now, now Jesus fought hard against false converts because this, in, in, in the story that we read, Jesus is going to challenge this young man's idolatry. He, he's going to challenge the idolatry of his self, of self-pursuit, of self-possessions. And we, we read it in the words because when, when Jesus reached into his heart and spoke to him, he isn't stepping on his toes. Jesus isn't trying to get an offering that day. But when Jesus spoke to his heart, the Bible said, disheartened by this saying, disheartened by the saying, what he heard, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. Now, now, what I find interesting about this story is that Jesus doesn't chase after this guy. Je- Jesus doesn't try to hunt him down and and walk away from his disciples and say, wait, wait, come here, come here. Let's me and you talk privately. Jesus doesn't try to water down the demands of discipleship. Why, Why is that? Because, listen, commitment to Christ is costly. Understand that? Commitment to Christ is costly. Jesus never hesitated to let people understand that if you're going to follow me, there's a cross you take up, there's a surrendering that we make to his lordship and leadership, and we have to do. But listen, he never backed away from the abundant life that he offers us. Jesus said, Listen, you're going to have all this stuff in this world a hundredfold, and then you're going to have eternal life. So so Jesus, listen, he wants us to know there is profound purpose when we follow him. This young guy could not see that. No no one could ever say that Jesus tried to lower the standard to get somebody to be his disciple because they felt like that he had had some value or worth to the kingdom because he had great possession. Now, that's different in America right now, right? We, We understand that. It's different in our culture today that that sometimes when somebody comes into a church and if they have possessions, that they, you know, people say, "Oh, they got status in the in the community." You know, you believe it or not. Now, I've been here 23 years, and there's been times I've had people come to me before service and say, "Pastor, I just just want you to let you know, so and so's in the house, and just just be careful today. Don't do, get too excited. You know, just just be careful. you, know, you follow me?" We, we don't want to scare them off because they might could help us. And listen, I understand that, that when people come in, guests come in, I, I love to be mindful of that. But, but it's not in the mindset that somehow or another we're going to try to change what God wants to do in our lives to, to somehow or another make it more convenient. Does that make sense? I, no, listen, I don't want to meddle, but, but I just have a feeling that some of you are going to think I'm doing that. I'm not meddling. But Jesus is up front. Now, now there, there are stats that say today that that Christianity in America is shrinking. Okay, you you read some of the studies, uh, Barnes studies, some of the things that somehow or another you know there there's a there's a whole group of nuns that that you know people that have no religion background and the young people and the stats say that 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 the church the, the in the United States is shrinking. But actually when you when you start breaking down those stats it's it's the fact that people are leaving liberal mainline churches. People are leaving religion that is dead and dull and has no life. It promises no victory. It has no triumph to it. People are walking away from those type of churches, but main uh, churches that that are preaching the gospel, churches where the Bible is presented, the Holy Spirit is welcome to move. Listen, those churches are growing in the United States of America. I, I have people all the time, guys that I play golf with, they, they go to mainline denomination. They last and say, Pastor Phil, you've been at Heartland 23 years. How, how have you continued to grow? Our church is shrinking. Our church is dying. We, we don't have this. We don't have that. Listen, I, I can only submit to you that God's church is not going down, but it's going up. Come on. But, but here, here's what is happening. I want you to write this down. Christianity isn't collapsing, it is being clarified. That's what's happening in America right now. We see what's going on in the Middle East. We see all the unrest that's happening globally around this world. We see gradually moving into the the West, Moving into the United States of America, we, we see challenges that we are facing right now. And listen, Christianity is not collapsing, but we are being clarified right now. The question that everybody in this room, everybody at all of our campuses, Hebron, Westville, Watertall, down in North Justin, listen, the question we will have to answer is, will I follow Christ even when it gets difficult to do so. Will, will, will I put Christ first? Will I keep on believing? Or will I at some point check out and bail and say, it's not worth it no more. We're being clarified. And what you and I have to be challenged with is God continually look at my heart. God, help me to be honest. So I want to look at this rich ruler and look at his life and and see there's something missing. What is he doing or what has he done to try to fill the void? Now, first of all, I want you to notice some positives about this guy. The first positive is simply he came at the right time. The Bible says that, that he was young. He came at the right time. Listen, our culture says that your youth is for pleasure, that, that middle age is for business, and old age is for religion. That, that's what culture says. Man, you're young. You, you need to just use your youth and enjoy the pleasure. The Bible says youth, middle age, and old age, it all belongs to God. You understand that? Uh, Solomon wrote this. It's not in your notes, but right on Ecclesiastes 12 and 1. He said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. Well, why did he say remember the Lord in the days of your youth? Why? Because listen, that's some of the most energetic years that we have. Our youth is some of the most active, healthy years. Our bodies are strong. Our muscles are strong. Our minds are sharp and clear. Listen, our, our, our senses are, are receptive. You know, we're, 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 we're enthusiastic. We're, we're bright. We, we have just determination. And listen, we should remember the Lord in the days of our youth. Why? That's our, that's our energetic years. But here's the most important. Our youth is our most sensitive years. Now, just think about this. Do you understand that most people become Christians in their youth rather than middle age or old age? National Association of Evangelism, 63% of individuals become a Christian between the age of 4 and 14. 63%. 34% of individuals become a Christian between the age of 15 and 29. You put those two numbers together, that means that 97% of individuals will come to Jesus Christ before the age of 30. In case that didn't rush to you, 97%. That means if we got 100 people... And, and when that 100 that people come become to Jesus Christ, out of that 100 people, 63 of them will come to Jesus before the age of 4 and 14, 34 between 15 and 29. Only three will come after the age of 30. Now, now here's, the, here's my point with that. It's a side point, but it's a important point. We are constantly pushed at this church why we invest so much in our kids in our youth ministry. I I, I get challenged sometime in the board. You know, we're looking at numbers. We say, oh, wow, we spent this, we spent that. Listen, we understand as a church, we understand the greatest investment that we can make is in our youth. That's the most sensitive years of their life. Do do you understand? Listen, the statistic is, listen, the average church spends less than 3% of their budget on any type of children or youth ministry. They spend the rest of their budget, majority of their budget on building budgets, uh, adult ministries, and so on. I love this church's heart in that we understand the older a person gets, the more hard it is for them to turn their hearts to God. You understand that? Some of you are sitting here today, and listen, while, while it might have been in your past 30 when you really got dedicated, but I guarantee you the majority of us can trace that to years in our youth That sitting in that classroom, sitting in that kids' ministry, sitting in that youth, that somehow or another God began to massage our hearts with his grace and his goodness. And it kept us open to the Lord. Amen. So, so, and I know a sad note, but listen, he came at the right time. So he was young. He comes to the right person. He ran and knelt at the feet of Jesus. So at the right time, right person, he asked the right question. He wanted eternal. He, he didn't say, Lord Jesus, how can I make my portfolio better? What can I do? What's the investments that you see happening? I mean, it seemed like you know the future. Where do you think I, you know, where you think I should put my money for, for next year? You follow me? He didn't ask it. He asked, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And he received the right answer. Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. So what's this? Stay with me. Just picture this, picture this happening, this, this young guy. Most theologians say that he's probably somewhere between the age of, of 15, maybe up to 30 years of age. Somewhere between that. So this young guy, he's rich. He comes to Jesus. He kneels and asks the question. He has, he has the right time, the right person, the right question. He received the right answer, but he makes the wrong choice. He turns away, and he doesn't follow the Lord. Now, here's the thing. When he walked away from Jesus, he still had all of his youth. Jesus didn't take his youth away from him. He still had all of his possessions. Follow me? Jesus didn't say, hey, you turn your back on me, you're going to lose it right now. No. He walks away, all of his youth, all of his possession. He has all of his morals, but he's lacking one thing. One thing is missing. He didn't have Jesus. Follow me? Again, here's a guy, he, he, he almost has it all. You've you've met those people. You have those people in your life that you look at their house, their car, their job, their salary, their income, and you you look and you think, man, there's a person who has it all. They would say that about this guy, but he doesn't. He lacks one thing. So look at the longing that upsets this man. Because when you read this story, you, you see this young man is searching for something. Oftentimes when people read this story, they they just go into a condemnation about him. But but if you look carefully at this story, there's a lot of reasons to commend this young guy because he's looking for God. The Bible says in verse 17 back there, if you look at it, when he was going forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him. This, this young guy has got this longing. There's something. He's longing, so he comes running up to God. His means is prosperous because we know he's a ruler. Luke 18 tells us in this story that he has to be one of the official uh, rulers in the synagogue. So he, he has a name for himself. He's rich because he's got great possessions. So he has position, he has possession, he probably lives in the nicest home, he eats the, the greatest food, he probably drinks the most expensive wine, he, he sleeps in the most comfortable bed, his means was prosperous. And his manners, look, look at his man. how proper they are. I'm I'm impressed with this young man because he comes to Jesus and he kneels before him. Now, now historians tell us Josephus said that he's probably uh, wearing one of the long robes that the rulers of the synagogue wore. It is probably an Armani robe. He's probably got sandals with Nike written on the side. I mean, this dude's got it. Follow me. And I, 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 want you, I want you to imagine he comes to Jesus, he runs up to him, and he kneels before Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't worry about the dirt that's in the road. Something is happening. This ruler is kneeling before the carpenter. It's, it's, like, it's like management. You walk in tomorrow at, at your place of business, and management comes up and kneels down before the laborers. Some of you would yeah. You'd probably have to go to the bathroom and clean yourself, right? Come on, you just whoa. This, this this is this this is the picture you have to see. His, his his means was prosperous, his manners are are proper, his morals are pure. Because I like it when Jesus listed some of the commandments, and he just gave six of them, he didn't give all ten. This young rich ruler says, listen, I've kept all them from my youth. I mean, from my youth, I've been the boy who says, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. Look at me. Follow me? I'm moral. Man, I'm a clean-cut guy outwardly he was very virtuous he was very decent he's a clean listen any mom would be proud for her daughter to come home and introduce this dude to them he has it together his motives was powerful because he only wanted one answer now listen if you're kneeling before the king of kings and lord of lords you might have a hundred questions he has one One question, what shall I do? His whole life has been consumed with doing and doing and doing and getting approval and doing and doing. And he comes to Jesus and he makes the assumption, I I want to go to heaven. I got everything down here, but I want something up here. See what's happening. He knows something is happening in his life, so he comes to Jesus openly, publicly, unashamedly. What must I do? Now, what's this? He's thinking about eternal life and is troubling his heart. I don't know. Maybe he just lost a friend. Maybe a friend was out on Saturday night or Friday night, and, you know, he's on a camel, and he got drunk, and he fell off the camel, broke his neck, and he's died, and I I don't know. Something. You ever ever notice how something happens to some people, and it triggers them to stop thinking so much about this earth and start thinking about the world beyond? You ever notice that? You, You ever had that shock in your life? You ever had that moment? Where something occurred to you and all of a sudden everything down here seems so small. and Everything up there seems so much bigger. So much more important. Something is happening here. In this young man's heart, he realized in spite of his power and his position and his possessions, he's he's missing something. And he's longing for something. So I want you to notice the, the Christ that observed this man. Because the real focus has got to be, how does Jesus respond to this? The first thing that Jesus does, he flips the question, and Jesus says, well, why call, you, why call me good? There, there's just none good but one. That's God. The, the, the logic of Jesus here, the logic of the Savior is simply this. On the surface, this man is asking this very innocent question, but what what Jesus wants to do is get inside of his heart because, again, he's asking what I need to do, good master. And Jesus reminds him that that there is only one good, and that's God. When he said, good master, maybe, maybe this young guy thought that Jesus was going to pick him up and say, well, I'm going to tell you right now, buddy, You've got a great judge of character. <laughs> I just can. Can I just congratulate you, and just can I just thank you for giving me. Some, you don't know where I've been some of these places, and they, they, you, you, you. Thank you so much for that compliment. Maybe that's what he thought Jesus was going to do. So, so, so he was stunned when Jesus wasn't impressed with his flattery. You ever, you ever tried to suck up to God? <laughs> no, you probably never did that. You ever, you ever tried to butter God up a little bit? You know, a lot of our prayers, we start with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You know, we do the word across. It. But if we're not careful, that, that little adoration part of that, it, it can come a little, become a little sacrilegious because we, we, we find ourselves many times just sucking up to God before we really want to get to the point of what we want to ask him for. Come on. Well, maybe that's just me, not you. You've never done that. So Jesus said, why call me good? There's just one good, and that's God. And the word good there in the Greek is the word for sinless. Jesus was saying, why why are you calling me sinless? There there is none sinless but God. Jesus was simply saying to this young man, listen, you realize what you're saying is you, you you cannot call me good. You cannot call me sinless unless you call me God. And if you call me God then you can call me good. This young rich ruler did not come to a good teacher. He comes to God. Okay? Jesus is saying, listen, dude, you've got something going on inside of you that's really some revelation that's happening. So again, you, you, you see Jesus again, he's trying, to, he's trying to wrap his arm because the very next thing, the Bible said that Jesus looked at him and Jesus beholding him looked at him and he loved him. You follow me? The well, translation that he's fixed his eyes upon him. He looks intently. It, it's, like, it's like inspecting something. It's like looking at a person's x-ray. Jesus doesn't have an x-ray machine, but Jesus is seeing right to the man's heart. He sees that longing. Jesus looks beyond the outward appearance of his his clothes, his possessions, his his seat of authority in the center. He doesn't see any of that. He looks right deep into his heart. And he doesn't reprove. Listen, Jesus knows what this guy's going to do. You understand? He knows what the end of the story is. He he knows before it even happens because he knows the future, and yet the Bible says Jesus doesn't reprove him. He doesn't reject him. The Bible says Jesus looked deeply at him, and he loves him. Can you imagine that? Having the conversation when somebody asks a question, and you know when you give the answer what their response is going to be, and yet still Jesus looks at him with tremendous love And the Bible says he loved him. What does that mean? Listen, let me tell you what it means to us. Jesus' affection or his love for us isn't built upon how humble we are or how arrogant we are. Jesus' love for us isn't built upon how good we are or how bad we are, how righteous we are, how unrighteous. Listen, Jesus' love for all of mankind is based upon one thing, that's God's mercy and God's grace. That's how he sees us reason why he looks at us, even though we all come from different backgrounds and different places, and we have different bank accounts, and we have different jobs and different titles, but when he looks at us, he sees us through one lens, and that's through the lens of grace and mercy. Tremendous. So he offers this man a life. Jesus says, the young man says, I want eternal life. And Jesus says, okay, listen. Before I give you what you want, let me, let me give you what you need. So you know what Jesus is going to do? Because he loves us, he reveals the problem. Now you go back and you look at verse 18. I don't have time to read. But, but Jesus said, hey, dude, you know the commandments. And he lists them. Don't commit adultery. That's commandment seven. Don't murder. Six. Don't steal. That's commandment eight. Don't bear false witness. That's commandment nine. Honor your father and mother. That's commandment five. Listen, apparently if you're Jesus, you can just put them in what order you want, right? I mean, because he did. He just mixes them up. But notice the response. I've kept all these. I've observed all of these from my youth. This man's problem was, listen, he really... The problem was he really thought that his moral goodness should somehow or another clarify him for eternal life. He really thought Jesus was going to put his arms around him and say, good boy, you've been awesome, incredible. You've, You've kept the commandment. But he had not kept the commandments Because Jesus only listed four of them, or six of them. He left out four, and he left out the most important one, For those of you that don't know all ten, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Those are the four that Jesus left out. And when Jesus told the rich ruler, I want to give you. You, you, you want eternal life, Jesus said, listen, I want you to give up everything that you have, sell everything, give it to the poor, take up the cross and follow me. The Bible said he responded by saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, Wait! wait, wait, wait a minute. Jesus said, you know what your problem is? You're relying upon your moral goodness of keeping commandments that only have to do with the all six of those commandments has to deal with our relationship with man. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. If you don't get the God part right, you'll never really fully get the man part right. You follow me? Jesus said, listen, you've broken the very first commandment. James, James will tell us that if we break one commandment, we've broken all commandments. And this man is looking at Jesus and saying, and Jesus is calling him out. Jesus said, listen, man, your gold is your God. You think your riches is going to be your redeemer. And it wasn't. He broke the great commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, Jesus exposes this problem. What is his problem? Just think about it. Just what is his problem? It's a problem we all have. It's, it's, the number one, it's the number one problem, reason why people don't surrender their life to Jesus. You know what it is? It's pride. Well, Pastor, I'm really a good person. I mean, this, this guy, listen, this guy had done everything right according to his standard. But let me tell you what the worst form of human badness is. The worst form of human badness is when we rely upon our human goodness. The worst form of human badness is when we rely upon our human goodness. When human goodness becomes the substitute for being truly born again. Here is the danger of false disciples. I started coming to church, Pastor. You know what? I I don't cuss near as bad as I used to cuss. You know, I started treating people right. I'm showing up on work on time. I'm giving them a full 10, 12 hours a day. I'm being nice to my kids. You know, I even waved at my neighbor the other day, and I ain't spoken to him in years. But have you been born again? Are you relying upon your human goodness? Jesus revealed the problem when he said, one thing you lack, go, sell. go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you're going to have treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross and follow me. He's telling this guy, you've got to liquidate everything, okay? Yard sale, estate sale, get rid of it all. Now, most theologians believe that he isn't telling this guy to to to, uh, to form this out to somebody. He's supposed to go out and do this. I want it's a process. There's some. You, listen, you've been a good guy, but you're not. You're not. You're not saved by keeping the commandments. Jesus is the only one that could keep all the commandments. You're not even saved by selling everything that you have and giving it. That's not the point. Abraham, the Bible says in Hebrews 13 and 2, or Genesis 13 and 2, that Abraham was very rich. He became rich. God favored him. God bless him. Jesus isn't telling this young guy to sell what he has to somehow or another earn his way. He was all wrapped up in doing something. Jesus said, I want to, can I I just reveal your heart to me? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Jesus was showing this guy, your gold had become your God. Can you imagine this young guy's wrestling with that statement? Because again, he's worked hard for his money. He's done right. Again, he hasn't embezzled. There's there's nothing about him being a crooked person. I mean, he's treated people. He's been diligent. He's been consistent. He lived his life by the right rules, doing the right thing. And Jesus said, but you lack one thing. The problem was that this young man was just casually glancing at himself and Jesus said, I want you to understand you can have all this, but if you don't have the one thing. What's the one thing? Listen, what's the one thing? What's the one thing? It's Jesus. You follow me? It isn't Jesus in baptism. We bat- It isn't Jesus in, in church membership. It isn't Jesus in, in, in doing better. It's, listen, it's Jesus himself. That's the one thing. And when you and I live in this broken world, when things are happening, and if you get down to the point, and Jesus is all you have, will He be enough? Will He be enough when He is the only one that is standing with you? When He is the only thing you have left? When you've lost everything else in this world? When your bank account, you go and you draw out money, and it's been frozen when the gas pumps don't work, when the food lines are lining up, and you recognize, oh my Lord, something's happening. But I got Jesus. Am I making sense to anybody in this house? I've got to hurry. When Jesus told him to sell everything he had, take up the cross and follow him, He was simply telling him, you you either come to God on his terms or you don't come at all. Haven't we all tried to negotiate with God of what it would mean for us to have eternal life? I see an entire culture right now negotiating with God of what it means to be a devout Christian negotiating with God with what it means to really demonstrate the fact that he's first in my life. If somebody walked in your home today and just started touring, could they tell immediately you're a Christ follower? Or would they see what sports fan? Somebody walks through your house and they start looking at things and picking up things and picks up and goes back and, and sees the review on, on the computer. Would they see, wow, man, this person really puts God first in everything, or would they see something else? Think about this. If, if riches could have really satisfied this young guy, if riches could have really made him happy, then, then why did he come to Jesus for eternal life? No, it wasn't. There was a hole. There was a vacuum there. And the loss that overcome this man is astonishing. For the Bible says back in verse 22 that he said, that the Bible said, and he was sad, grieved at the saying, and went away, grieved, for he had great possessions. This story should have had a happy ending. This story should have ended with celebration. This story should have ended with this guy selling everything he had, offering up, giving it to the poor, and telling Jesus, hey, by the way, I'm going to follow you. Yet the Bible says he chose to walk away. He chose. He made a decision. Now listen. I truly believe he was worse when he left than when he came, because now the word that Jesus has spoken to him had been like a mirror, and now he saw himself for who he really was. Oh, he had the he had the entire town fooled. He's a ruler of the synagogue. He's got great possessions. He's a great business. Boy, he has so much savvy. But when Jesus held up that mirror and he seen how much pride he had of himself and his possessions and his position, the Bible says he was sad. That that word means he was cut to the quick. He didn't walk away with a smile on his face. He walks away with, with tears in his eyes. Now listen, I, I, want you, I want you to understand something. A person can, can, can feel sorry for what they've done. A person can even feel guilty or feel remorse for what they've done. That doesn't make them right with God. He's sad. His tears is in his eyes. He feels sorry. There's something going on. There's remorse there. But he left the Savior. He's on his knees, he asks a question, Jesus encounters him, he gets up, he dusts the dust off his robe, clears his sandals, tears running down his cheek, and he walks away. He turns his back on the very person that can give him what he asked for. It's too much. And no, nowhere in the Scripture, most theologians agree that there's no place where he ever came back to Jesus. He knew, he knew commandments, and now he knows it isn't just the, the last six. You've got to keep the first four. And the most important one, you can't have any other God before you. He didn't realize at that moment that nothing plus Jesus would equal everything for him. He didn't realize that. He really thought that everything without Jesus would mean something. They didn't it wouldn't do that. no one ever comes into the presence of Jesus and leaves the same. you understand that That's the reason why I come pastor Lindsay. that's the reason why my, one of my greatest fears is having false converts in the church. somehow not the people thinking because you come to church and you sit in a pew, and you listen to worship, you listen to a message, you sit on the deacon's board, you're serving youth, you serving kids, and somehow or another, your works is somehow or another entitling you to eternal life. No. Please. No. Do we want you to serve? Do we want you to use you? Yes. But listen, those are not what gets you in His presence. It's looking at our life the way Jesus challenged this young guy. Jesus said, "I want you to go and liquidate everything you've got. Distribute it." I, I think there was a process Jesus was trying to put this guy through because some theologians believe that you know often Jesus when he when he called them to follow him he was literally calling them into some type of ministry. Oh, that's another whole message right there. How many people gets called into ministry? Because you see what you have in this world, it looks bigger to you than what Jesus has promised you. And Jesus pointed out to this young guy that you you would rather have gold than God. You'd rather have your money than the master. You'd rather trust in the riches rather than the redeemer. Listen, I, I want to congratulate this church for having success. I, I, want, I want to congratulate us for we have an abundance of things. I walked around the, the, the parking lot before the first service and, listen, we've got some nice cars that come to church. We we get some people driving and listen, I, I see most of us this morning, we, we got some pretty nice and the only reason why you got holes in your jeans is because you pay $150 for holes in your jeans. It ain't because they wore out, come on. And listen, man, I, I want to congratulate us for our abundance of things. But we have to be careful. Let's never forget that none of this stuff is going to go to heaven with us. You understand that? I'm not against you having nice stuff. Look at the conclusion. Jesus looks at the disciples and he gives them a lesson because they've been watching this whole conversation. And Jesus knew what these boys are thinking. Jesus said, listen, I, I, I want to tell you there is no man that has left house or brother or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers, children, land, he, and he doesn't say wives, okay, listen, just one wife is enough. He doesn't say you're going to get a hundredfold. Why? He said you're going to get a hundredfold in this life with persecution and in the world to come, eternal life. And what Jesus is saying, listen, nobody gives up everything to follow him without gaining everything in return. You you don't sacrifice. I I have little pity parties every now and then and I, I think... You know, poor old me, Oh, look what I do, I sacrifice and God has to constantly remind me, Phil, you ain't giving up nothing that I haven't already rewarded you. I left my parents when I was 16 years old, but over the the last 52 years, God has given me so many godly people in my life to spend like moms and dads. Rhonda and I have had so many people in our lives that come along beside us that feel like siblings and brothers and sisters. I've seen the blessing and the favor of God over our life as we, as we put him first. We, we, we sacrifice for him, and he turns around, and every time I, I empty my hand, he empties it. Oh, when God's hand gets empty, it's a big blessing, isn't it? Jesus is saying, listen, guys, there's nothing. And the five things that dominate our lives that we have to constantly give back to the Lord. We talk about these a lot, but listen, this, this is a litmus test for Christianity in our culture right now. How are you spending your time? How, how are you treating your temple? What about your talents and your testimony and your treasure? That's the real litany test. Don't 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 tell me what commandments you're keeping. Listen, show me how you invest in your time. How you taking care of your temple? What are you doing? How are you using your gifts? What about your testimony? What about your treasure? When God says give, do you do you do you just? Cheerfully give, or you you hold back. But when, when God says yes, and you know, ten percent is just the start. Just, you just do, do you give it cheerfully, or is it like, oh my Lord, I got to write this tie check again? Somebody told me just the other day. Said, "Do you Pastor Phil?" Said, "When I win this billion dollar, two billion, seven, I whatever the lottery. When I win this billion, this lottery, whatever it is, what's what's the number? Yeah, you play it all time, don't you? I'm sorry, it just." I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, but they told me, said, hey, Pastor Bill, when I, when I get the billions of dollars, guess what I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give the church and we're going to build the Sunshine Center. We're going to do this. And I said, listen, do you tithe right now? Well, well, no, I can't afford to. I said, listen, if you can't tithe on a hundred dollars, you won't tithe on a billion dollars. You know why tithing has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with trust. And that's what Jesus is trying to get this young man to see. It was all about. It wasn't about possessions. Jesus said, listen, you're going to get more possessions. I'm going to bless you in this life a hundredfold. Jesus wanted to put this guy in the moment where he had to look at his heart. Who and what am I trusting in? And that's my question to you today. Who are you trusting? This world... In a couple of weeks, I'm going to deal with the questions that Jesus answered. What shall be the sign of your coming? When shall these things happen? Because it's an important question. And Jesus gives us some answers to that. We're not date-sitters. Date-sitters are always up I'm going to look at that in a couple of weeks, and we'll come back to that. But right now, the most important question we can answer, who are we trusting? I'll, the election is coming. It's important. You need to vote. But I'm telling you, you, you can't trust Washington. You can't trust the local. You can't trust Republican, Democratic Party, independent, whatever. That, that, that's not where your trust can be. You, you, you can be affiliated. I'm not saying don't. I'm affiliated. I vote. But where are you trusting? Where have you put your hope at for the future? If everything is gone today and you've got one thing left, that's Jesus, is he going to be enough? Now, if I can answer that question now when it's not necessary, I do believe God will give me the grace to answer it when it is absolutely essential. Follow me? Come on, I want you to stand. I told you nobody's nobody's toes should be hurt today. I'm telling you, listen. Some of you, you've been reaching for your roll aids and anti acids for the last thirty minutes. But I love this church. I love this church. I love what God is doing in this church. I love how God has positioned this church to have impact and influence. In our city, in our communities, I love what He's doing at Juanito, in Wanetau and Norchester, and Hebron and Valpole. But I thank God that He's trusting us enough with vision for the future. Because we're gonna listen, we're gonna occupy till Jesus comes. Okay, you'll never, you'll never see this church saying, "We better shut down. We better, we better hunker down. We better." No, no, no. Listen, we refuse to do that. I've already had people ask me. Said, you know, with with everything going on, uh, you you think you need to put the Sunshine Center on hold? I said, Lord, no. If anything, I got to expedite. If anything, I need to be doing more for that right now. I got to trust God. Why? Because listen, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It wouldn't have been, it would have made Jesus more happier for that young boy to have got up that young recruiter fell over on Jesus' shoulder and said, thank you for telling me the truth. Let me go and begin the process. I will see you shortly. Jesus would have rejoiced, but he didn't. He walked away, tears in his eyes, sad and grieved and disheartened because he had great possessions. He said, it's too much. You feel like what God's asking you to do is too much? We've got young people in, the, in, this, in this church. Some of you in this room, some of them are serving. they got call of God's on their life. Listen, you need to fan the flame in our young people right now that feel passion for God to do something for his kingdom because that's what's going to be eternal work. Oh, I, I love sports, and listen, we're all for that, and we celebrate a uh, guy that, that gets letters and all that stuff, But I'm going to tell you, all that stuff will mean nothing when Jesus comes. Do you trust him? Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at PastorPhil at HCC3D.com. Have a blessed week.